Welcome to episode number five of the WIM podcast. That's WWIM podcast, Women Who Inspire Me. Our guest today is the beautiful, talented, lovely, empathetic, nice, kind, super nurse and neighbor of mine, Joan Thomas. Thank you for being on. Thank you for inviting me, David. (laughs) I have known you a long time. <laughs> Thank you for those kind words. Yeah, you're welcome. When did you move to Westboro? It was 80? Uh, we moved in 1980. Wow. We came July of 1980, wow. yes. That's they, my husband pulled me here kicking and screaming <laughs> because I always thought we would go back to New York City <laughs> where we started. And he went to BC, Harvard, and then switched to Mount Sinai and just loved it up here. And this became home. So you moved to Mass. Did you move to Massachusetts before Westboro? Yes. We, okay. li- we lived in Norwood. Okay. Um, well, actually, we l- the first time we lived in Norwood was in 1975. Whoa. Carrie was 10 months old. And Bob came up to do an infectious disease fellowship at Harvard. He was working on, I don't know what he was working on, to be honest. I think some kind of herpes simplex virus. And we lived in Norwood one year, and I was miserable. I just wanted to go home to New York, (laughs) where my parents were. And we did. We went back home again. And then um, in 1979, after Aaron was born, he said, I really want to live in Massachusetts. And I went, forever (laughs) and he said I think it would be a good place to raise our children and so 79 we moved back to Norwood and then in 80 he said we should buy a house I said why (laughs) um you know I'm used to having a landlord and a super to do all the work and at that point he he said I think it would be good for us I'm like he's not handy (laughs) Bob's not handy I don't know how this is going to go down so we moved here in July of of 1980 so we've been here a long time wow yeah so what got you before you even met Dr. Bob um what you know your upbringing did something get you into nursing what Joan was a nurse (laughs) at UMass when I was going through my major life uh, medical challenges. Uh, you had a couple of I them. I have a couple of them. Yeah. Um, what got, is some, someone get you into nursing? Like what? Um, back then growing up as a kid growing up post World War II, mm. they were, it was very limited what a woman right. could do. Um, being Irish Catholic or BIC, which we call Bronx Irish Catholic, <laughs> um, you could be a nurse, you could be a teacher yeah. or a nun. Oh, nun was <laughs> struck no, that right that wasn't up. There was no way that was going to happen. <laughs> Teaching, I, you know, and when I was about 14 or 15, I was a candy striper okay. at Misericordia Hospital in Western uh, Bronx, uh, excuse me, Northern Bronx. And I thought, I could see myself doing this. Okay. So I knew from an early yeah. age what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, as a dear friend of mine, Helen Mullen, who has also taken care of you and others. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, <laughs> Helen. Um, she always said it's not a profession even though it is she thinks of it more as a vocation Mm, and the older I got the more I realized she was right I I did agree with her on that I did yeah so then you became a nurse in a hospital in New York after that or I rebelled (laughs) um having spent 12 years with the nuns (laughs) I um applied to Mount Sinai School of Nursing um in New York City right on Fifth Avenue and my father of course clutched his chest 
Um, he wanted me to go to a Catholic school in nursing. <laughs> he wanted me to go to St. Vincent's, which was down in the Bowery. And he said, you know, Mount Sinai is in a terrible location. Right. It's in Spanish Harlem. I oh said, God. what's the difference between yeah. Spanish Harlem and the Bowery, Dad? <laughs> and then I, I kind of nailed it. And I said, you're not going to have to pay for this. It's grant funded. There you go. I said, so I'll come out with a, you know, maybe $500 in grant that I have to pay back. And he said, okay. <laughs> so that's where you're going. <laughs> so that's where I went. So I, I've been a nurse 51 years. I graduated oh from Mount Sinai in 1971, but I continued to take courses. Right. So I took courses at Hunter College, and I finished my bachelor's degree in 1975. Uh, Carrie was 10 months no. old, and I finished my bachelor's degree in 75. Wow. Yeah. So then, so, but you had already met, where did you meet Dr. Bob? Uh, actually, he was um, doing a sub-internship, they called it back then, in med school. He had left Harvard, because okay, he was yeah. in Harvard Dental School, <laughs> and decided that's not oh, he, what he wanted God to he do. he figured that out. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so, <laughs> he was doing research in, at Mount Sinai, and then he decided to go to med school, finish med school at Mount Sinai, and I was doing second shift, which was great because in New York City, you know, you leave at 1230. There's yeah. always a place to eat. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I was doing second shift and I was in the med room and this tall guy touched my right shoulder and I turned around and looked up at somebody <laughs> six four. I'm like, what the heck? And he said, Miss Garvey, can I have the keys to something? And I went, OK, <laughs> that was it. Wow. That was it. That's all it took? That's Meaning all like, it took, yeah. So then you started talking or what? Like? Well, we had a very interesting um, encounter because <laughs> I had taken care of a little 10-year-old boy that had a brain tumor. Oh. Um, I was his primary nurse and Bob was his, he was an intern at the time. He was the doctor. Yeah. And he kept saying to him, I want you to meet my nurse. I want you to meet my nurse. The patient said that to the Dr. Bob. The patient said that. Oh. And... Bob asked me out, and I thought, <laughs> what the heck Did am he I Did he set up the kid? The, the kid said, David. No, they his, just said, his, his name the, was David, his too? His name was That's David, crazy. too. And he ended up being a, in, came coming to our wedding. Oh, my he, God. Well, he obviously. ended up saying to him, t you know, ask my nurse out. And I, I thought, I said yes. And then I thought, what am I going to talk to this guy about, <laughs> you know? And a month later, we're engaged. Oh, my. Oh, it only took a month? Yeah. Oh my gosh! So where did he grow up? Where he did Bob grew, grow up? He grew up in Austin, New York, where Sing Sing Prison is. Okay. So he grew up in Westchester. Okay. You know, I you know I'm a Bronx kid through and through. <laughs> it only took a month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What did your parents think of that? Uh, my mother went, <laughs> and Bob wanted to get married um, when he graduated from med school, yeah. which had been '72, and my mother said, "Oh, I can't pull it together." It can't, I can't do it that fast. And so then Bob said, well, what about September? My mother said, no, I can't do that either. And then he said, December. And my mother says, nobody gets married in December. And I went, uh, Mom, you and Dad got married yeah. in December. <laughs> that was different. It was right after the war. So she, she made us wait a year. Um, she figured <laughs> I, was, I was immature. Um, well, so you were how old were you? 21? I had just turned 21. Yeah, that's crazy. So I got, she made me wait till I was 22 to get married. 
I think I think my mom was twenty two. Your well. mom was young too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. It was different back then. Right, it was. It I was mean, big... well, that's the thing is, you could graduate college back then and have a job and have a family with a college degree back then. Right, not, not the case now. Now you're here's some debt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and exactly, exactly. You know, and I didn't ask him how many you know loan coupons right, books right, did he right, have. Yeah, for, you know, because right. as you know, he went school. to BC and yeah. med school. So yeah, so a lot of our friends were buying houses. And we were still in an apartment. It was just the way <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and you just you just do what you have to do. So you got married and you, how long bef- after you got married, you moved, You said you moved to Norwood? We oh. we got married in 73, had Carrie in 74, Four. moved to, Nor- I gra- got my bachelor's degree in yeah, 75 right. and moved to Norwood in 75. That's a busy couple of years It was a busy couple of years, yeah. And then, so you were in Norwood and then, was it Norwood to Westboro? Or Norwood no, to, to back, back home. to New York. Back, right. back home again, okay. yeah. And then, and Aaron was born. Aaron was born in New York City, also. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, both girls were born at Mount Sinai. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. And then you moved to Westboro in 1980. Yeah. 1980. Yep. You moved to Westboro, and then did did you both start working at UMass at the same time? I How did didn't. that work? Okay. I was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. Hung right. out, hung out with your mom. <laughs> and, you know, we did all sorts of things. <laughs> um, and my parents died around the same time as your grandfather, grandfather Hayes yeah. and in fact um, when your grandfather Hayes died um, Mary Beth called me and you know told me what's going on and at that point she said to me can you go tell John and the kids I don't want them to hear it just hear it right 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 so I remember well, going up I and remember, I think I remember John, that. John was 15 at the yeah. time I do remember that and I just remember telling him that his beloved grandfather right. had passed and oh that was God. that was hard thing to do because john was really emotional oh yeah you all were yeah I, I i was really i mean i was as sad as a nine-year-old could be yeah like i was sad and i you, you know but when you're nine you don't really i don't think you really have the emotional process to you don't realize, realize it's what forever it's like. yeah exactly. right right yeah they're, they're not coming back yeah, yeah. this yeah. is my grandfather who i was actually named after i know david david hayes, hayes. yeah he was <laughs> McGraw, a captain mcgrath do you say mcgrath or do you say mcgrath i we, say mary beth mcgrath yeah you do and i say paul mcgrath <laughs> and i say all the mcgraths <laughs> anyway i know and you're, well, you're pa- irish too so you, you oh of, yeah through, through and through <laughs> both sides so so when did you so you must have been so you're raising Carrie and Aaron. And, and then, then my parents got sick. Yeah. And it was back and forth, back and forth into New York, New Jersey. Right. Um, both my parents, my mother got sick first, then my father. And they were both sick at the same time at two different hospitals. So it was very, you know, if it wasn't for your mother and, and your Aunt Carolyn and, yeah. and the neighbors, I it was very, very difficult time. We were, we were great neighborhood like we would take care of each other absolutely, you know? absolutely. i don't think neighborhoods have that feel anymore no we had the igos the robinsons yeah. the fulhams yeah. actually your mother took more care of the fulhams <laughs> well there was five of them there were five <laughs> of them too yeah 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 well th- and that's the thing back back then we you wouldn't like, there'd be no play dates we'd just hear <laughs> you go, go outside and hear <laughs> where the be ki- out in the back here you should just hear where the voices were yeah and you'd be like oh they're playing at the robinsons yeah. let's go down yeah. there like, yeah and you guys were always in the woods yeah. you know luckily you weren't always covered in poison yeah. ivy you know but anyway yeah so, so i didn't go i didn't go back to work yeah at Mount when sinai uh excuse me UMass, Mount, UMass. after my mom died okay. i so was, early was 80s. Yeah, yeah i was just constantly cleaning 
And Bob would come home and he'd say to me, you know, they need nurses up at UMass. <laughs> I'm like, well, why would I do that? You know, he said, it's a really good hospital yeah. and their nurses are great. Okay. <laughs> so they had an open house and yeah. I went and I interviewed and I started their per diem in inpatient on 5 East where you yeah, were. Yeah. And... The rest is kind of history. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and now, I st- now you were there till two years ago, right? T- yeah. Or, yeah. I, wow. <laughs> I ended up retiring two years ago, um, March 6th. And that was due to the fact that my daughter Carrie said to me, Mom, you've been doing this a long time. <laughs> you deserve to get some yes, enjoyment yes. instead of always running yes. around. And I thought about it. And she said to me, well, think about it. And so I prayed and I prayed on it. And I said, Bob, you know, look down, tell me what yeah. do you think. And I went in a week and a half later, and I said to the nurse manager, she wanted a three-month. Like for COVID, she wanted three months. It was prior to COVID. Oh, okay. She right wanted before. three months because she wanted to get systems on board. Oh, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I was certified in pedi-oncology. Right, right. So you yeah, you're a and super nurse. Not quite, but <laughs> I, I gave her um, three months' notice, and I picked an arbitrary date, which was... March 6th. Uh, oh, right. So it was just... Right. And then my retirement so party was March 13th, oh, okay. and everything shut down. Right. And then they wanted... They asked you to come back. And right? they did ask me to come back last year. Like, no. They they just didn't not have... They didn't have enough hands on board, and I yeah. kept my certifications for, um, you know, IVs and stuff like right, that right, in right. pedi-oncology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be certified. And so I went back. I went back per diem. But it was good. It gave me a purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, I still say good call, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carrie just, Carrie really struggled after losing Bob. Yes. She really, they, both girls are really close to their dad, but she saw, because she would come every week and sit with him when he got really sick, mm. and it really hit her hard, mm. and she just said, you know, I would like you to have some good quality time to do things that you enjoy, Mom. You know, so just think about it, you know. Yeah. Well, you do enjoy nursing, though. I, I love right. nursing. <laughs> nursing nursing is a passion. Yeah, it yeah. really is a passion. I um, I <laughs> bumped into somebody in the store, and they said, are you Joni? Now, the only people who really call me Joni, <laughs> people at work and my, my patients, right, right. and I went, uh, yes, and th- mo- this mom said, you took care of my son, and, you know, named the child, and I went, oh, my gosh, I remember, uh, you know, he was so scared of getting an IV, <laughs> and, you know, but anyway, it was, yeah. Any stories from those early days at UMass that you had, like getting acclimated? Um, yeah. I had a hard time because things were so different in New York. Okay. Um, in New York, when I worked in New York, um, you didn't have a lot of nurses on second or third shift and you were used to just doing everything on your own i got up to umass and it was nice to have more licensed people and that you could communicate with one another if you had a problem like one day i was concerned about a patient and my friend helen as yep. you know helen mullen had been there and so she said oh well, let's go you know do it together and we did and that kind of cemented our relationship mm. and We've been friends and colleagues ever since, <laughs> you know. You know, she was the one that kept saying to me, please come back, please come back. And I'm like, I don't know if I <laughs> want to come back, Ellen. But anyway, anyhow, yeah. So been up there a long time. So so you were, you'd been working there probably maybe five-ish years before when I was diagnosed with... Yeah, I started there in 85. Yeah, I came so down to out, outpatient clinic yeah. in 87. Okay. Yeah. I d- are we talking first diagnosis or second first, diagnosis? First, yeah, so... First diagnosis. <laughs> 88. 
eight. December of 88. First diagnosis, I can tell you right now, um, Bob had said that your history didn't make any sense <laughs> and called Michael Hirsch, who was our pediatric trauma surgeon, and said to, to Dr. Hirsch, History doesn't make any sense, but I'm sending him up. Something's going on. Of course, he got the call from Michael Hirsch that night and said, thanks a lot, Bob. Uh, because Dr. Hirsch was in the emergency, uh, in the OR with you for hours yeah, on yeah. end. So a little little backstory. So mm -hmm. when I was like probably 11, 12, I started having symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms. But ignored them. And ignore them. I'm Mr. Hockey player, tough guy. I can deal with it. Till it was so bad that um, it got to the point where Dr. Bob came and came to our house, did an exam on me. and was like, yeah, you got to go to the emergency room. Yeah. So that's. And yeah. Then, so did he call like so did you were there when he called? Yeah. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had no idea what was going yep. on. Yep. They thought it was going to be a 45 minute um, take out my appendix. Right. But it was like four hours. But or Bob kept and, saying the history's not making yeah, any sense. Yeah. And at that point, I, I won't discuss what happened to you that's your yeah. story but michael hirsch was in the dr hirsch was in the or for a long period of time yeah yeah they came out and uh told my parents yeah it's not really his appendix we were taking more out and i don't know if they diagnosed me with crohn's right away i don't know i think the after the pathology yeah. you know had a sentence of pathology see what yeah. was going on yeah <laughs> yeah and then, then dr bob and joan would visit me many many times as i was recovering i, I think i was in for like two i want to say two weeks when they after they diagnosed me and did the surgery i was in the hospital for christmas that's always fun mm -hmm. that's got to be tough for you even as a nurse to see kids in the hospital probably missing birthdays missing it's hard you know it's hard yeah, how do you well do you deal like the one thing <laughs> that i loved about working in new york um working second shift i would alternate with another nurse who lived far away from home i was in new york i could travel back at that point we were living in new jersey because the bronx was really bad um so i would say to her i'll work christmas eve i'll work christmas mm. because i can go home yeah, afterward yeah. the best thing about that was you had macy's and gimbals okay <laughs> right two there. huge new york <laughs> department stores and they were always in competition but they always would send toys to the hospital to the, oh nice and so as second shift nurse you would, as they were sleeping, you would be putting oh, out all the presents. Awesome. One year they got Bob to play Santa Claus, which was really, <laughs> which was really kind of neat. He was very skinny back yeah, then, right. so he, you <laughs> was know, he ever he, not? <laughs> um, he was. He weighed a little bit more back then, but okay. he still needed yeah. padding. Yeah. So that was really, that was very rewarding. Yeah, really sure. rewarding. Yeah, sure. yeah. But the, so, you know, we try. You mass the same thing. You try to send as many kids home or give them a pass right. so they can, if they're able to. Right. You know, I remember uh, you getting a pass to come to Carrie's birthday party <laughs> when you were in the hospital. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Neuberger let you go. We when I when I was diagnosed with Crohn's, we we wanted me and John really wanted to go see the Naked Gun movie. And we joked that we were going to take my IV <laughs> pole out with us into the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> So you start working as a nurse at UMass, and there's there's been some. Um, you haven't been like just a nurse. Like you, what's what what has been your kind of timeline at UMass? You you worked in different. I worked inpatient yeah. for two years yeah. before I went down to the to, to the outpatient yeah. clinic. And when you think of it, an outpatient clinic, you think of it well. 
child checkups, you think of strep throat, right. you think of immunizations. But in our clinic, as you know, right. we give chemotherapy, yeah. we do sedations, yeah. we do uh, spinal taps, we do bone marrow biopsies, we do blood transfusions, yeah. we do platelet transfusions, yeah. we do infusions of the yin-yang. Yeah, you're um, seeing the sickest, probably the sickest of the sick kids. We do. And, yeah. and the whole purpose of, of you know, pedi-oncology, um, we get the protocols, it's called a children's oncology group. So it's, it's all these wonderful, brilliant docs working to see what protocol is going to work best for yeah. what patient yeah. and it depends upon the pathology and the micropathology right. of where they fit into what arm of the protocol they're going to fit into but um, we've always tried to have the kids outpatient versus inpatient right. yeah. I mean obviously a lot of times they will be inpatient mm -hmm. if they're running a fever or let's say their white count yeah. which helps to fight infection mm -hmm. if they don't have enough neutrophils yeah. you need neutrophils what was my, mine was down you single, single digits sometimes right or uh the best story i have <laughs> is taking a look at david and saying oh <laughs> where where in trouble here his hemocrat and hemoglobin were in the what we call in the toilet <laughs> and we kept saying how do you feel oh i'm fine and bob and i would look at each other and say ah oh, no 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 just lie i would lie you know we're gonna we're gonna sign that blood tube <laughs> for the blood bank because he needs blood and platelets <laughs> yes and you definitely did dr bob who you know would i would just need blood work done <laughs> and he would come and draw my blood on his way to work, so I didn't have to go to UMass just for that. They wouldn't allow. I, there's no way they there's would allow no that way now. Would, like. Right, right. We used to we used to bring your your tube in. We one of us would sign the tube, either Bob or I would sign the tube, and then we'd process it. Now, of course, everything's scanned. Like oh yeah, Walmart. so I have to I have to be there. Yeah, yeah, and everything yeah. we scan you, yeah, we scan yeah, the yeah, tube, yeah, yeah, yeah. we scan it all at this when point. When did that happen? When did that start? Like the 90s? scanning, um, early 2000s, maybe. Once we went to uh, electronic medical yeah. records, okay. everything got scanned. On a computer, right. Because yeah. now when you see a doctor, they whip over the com computer. They yep. don't have your really nope. charts anymore. No, nope. Like mine, mine, which was like a book sometimes. Actually, yours is probably, <laughs> you know, bigger than this room down in our medical <laughs> records department. Um, we Everything now is, is in the computer, and everything gets scanned into yeah. the computer. Do you like that? Um or? I guess it's probably good in some ways. It, it, and not it's in good in some ways. Yeah. Some way, you know. I, I'm a hands-on nurse, mm. um, so you know I'm scanning your bracelet. I'm scanning the chemo. I'm scanning whatever IV fluids. Um, I'm scanning, but am I? And I do look at my patients. Don't get right, me right wrong, right. but I, 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 when we first started it, you I you don't just have to worry about that. So yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and it. it checks and balances right right but also when we were always doing the chemo it was always checks and balances right, right. because you have one nurse checking to make sure that this is the right protocol right. and the right date for david right and then that nurse would sign off on it and then the other nurse would take it and make sure and would sign off right. on it you have a doctor signing off on it and then two pharmacists signing wow. off it so all the checks and balances are there yeah and that that's key but that's this is key. the scanning the scanning takes it's still care of all that the, no the or scanning you know the the pharmacy takes care of scanning okay and then we we still have to have two nurses scan Do it. Oh, okay. so like if i'm giving you the 
the wrong med, the second the wrong, nurse would be like, oh, it'll no. never happen. Yeah. Right. Because I've scanned your bracelet right. and I've scanned the med. And right. it will, if it, it would tell you, it would yeah, tell this you is immediately. The wrong kid or this right. is the wrong. Right. Oh, okay. And you can tell but that it. is good. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. yeah. So we've come a long way yeah. in, in that retrospective. Um, yeah. You mentioned the group of doctors coming together and picking the protocol for the patient. Did that have, was that 30 years? Did they have that yes. 30 years ago? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's called the uh, COG or okay. Children's Oncology Group. Okay. So you have oncologist pedi pedi oncologist right. from all over and they everybody's doing research like you know dr newberger who you know mm -hmm. has done research his whole his whole medical profession he's technically retired but he's still doing research yeah. uh, it comes together and they find what works best i'm we've we've come a long way when we first started a lot of the kids with all or leukemia yeah. they weren't getting um igg which is an immunoglobulin these children unfortunately their resistance to infection was low and through research they found that if we give the igg it boosts them up so now that's part of the protocol wow wait so you're saying like science and research works it actually <laughs> it easy really, it really crazy. does well i know yeah. dr schwen dr molly schwen mm -hmm. she was one of my oncologists yep. she presented my case i think it was to dana farber one yep. of the boston hospitals yep. and we're like this is what this kid has yep this is what we're thinking we're going to give him and they were like yep we do the same yep so even it, though it's i was at umass i was still getting yes because exactly far, what i would have gotten the, because it is a collaborative yeah you can't work in isolation right. it doesn't work because right. if molly Dr. Schwinn would say, okay, well, we found this with Dave. You know, what do you think about this? Should we add another med? You know, and it would be a collaborative yeah. effort. I, but I do remember you getting all this chemo, and I remember you asking everybody to pray for you. <laughs> and we did. I mean, everybody from St. Luke's in the neighborhood. <laughs> and I remember. I, did, I asked her, my mom asked. I thought you did. <laughs> and I remember you saying, I'm not going to need the radiation. <laughs> and of course, that was kind of part of the protocol. Yeah. And of course, you didn't no. need the radiation. And I remember Bob. Well, you know why? You know why that happened, right? Well, first of all, I said I joked with my aunt. I was like, I was like, Auntie, they're gonna everyone. So many people are praying for me. They're gonna scan me before I'm even done treatment, and it's gonna be gone. Like I actually thought you did say that. I had so many people on my side that it was just right. gonna disappear. And I, I, I know that's crazy to think, no. but I just I already had the but victory ba in my but mind. Bob already said well, he agreed with david <laughs> and said it's body mind yeah. and spirit well you know what he did right you don't you know this story the so, pac-man story no not the oh, pac-man story okay. the the day that the first so we're so i was diagnosed with crohn's in 88 and then 92 i started having different symptoms but i learned from my crohn's and i went to the doctor right away anyway so Dr. Bob, they eventually diagnosed me with a cancer brain tumor. Dr. Bob comes into my room the day of my first chemo treatment, and he tells me about all these studies he's read that say patients who use visualization have higher success rates. I had no idea what that was. I had no, So he told me, so he's like, well, when you're getting treatment, close your eyes and picture the chemo. Picture it going up in your veins, up to your brain, and attacking the tumor. And um, that's what I did. I, every yeah. time I came out, I did that. And I pictured it getting, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I listened to my favorite 80s metal music as I was visualizing this chemo, like literally attacking. Like I would have really vicious visions of this thing really destroying the tumor. And, yeah. 
making it go away. And then Dr. Schwen would show, she'd show me the scans. The scans, each, after yeah. After each time. And she yep. got smaller and smaller and smaller. And you, I think you were there the day they said, yeah. you don't need any more treatment. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I think that was the sickest I ever was, was right at the. You were sick. Right. I was so sick. You were I mean, so six sick. Six months of like poisoning me, basically. And what right? did you, I, I remember one day you said you were going to, what was the term used for what we call vomit? <laughs> I can't remember. Duke? The, nope. Hurl? Nope. Hurl. I'm going <laughs> to hurl. I'm like, he's going to do what? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Bob always believed that you were going to be okay. Yeah. I'm, and I remember he had, um, when you ended up up in CAT scan, um, Aaron called me. And I was busy with a patient. And I didn't answer the phone. And the secretary didn't said, you need to call Aaron. I went, what the heck is she calling me for? She knows I'm at work. <laughs> Very empathetic mother. <laughs> so I called her back and she said, um, Mrs. McGraw is in Casca and, and with David, and Daddy needs to get there. And I went, all right, well, okay. I didn't know what was going on right. at that point. Yeah, it could have been a head injury or it, something. Yeah, yeah, it could have yeah. been, you know, John falling off <laughs> his bike or whatever. <laughs> so um, I I text Bob, and I said, can you go to CATSCAN? And I'll never forget it because he came back downstairs, and he didn't. You must have called him, texting him. I, I, I didn't text him. I paged him. Oh, page, we had, yeah, yeah. We pagers had, back then. We had yeah. pagers back then. And he came downstairs to clinic, and I saw the look on his face. <clears throat> and at that point, I knew it was not good. It was not good. And I just looked at him, and he said, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I kept thinking, how do you know it's going to be okay? <laughs> and he said, because he, he will, David is strong. He will get through this. And I, he was right. Yeah. I, well, they. it's funny because so I'm in the CAT scan machine. And they do one round of pictures and then the technician comes in and she's like, I'm going to remove this head plate, lean your head back because the doctor wants more pictures. And I was like, oh, my, I I knew I was 18, but I was like, I for my Crohn's experience, I was like, doctors don't take more pictures if they don't have to. There's something there. So like they're taking the pictures in that second round of the photos. And I'm like thinking to myself, what is it like? What could it be? What's going on? Like going through everything, going through like depression, <laughs> bargaining, you know, anger, going through all those stages. And then I think of my, my mom is waiting for me outside and I was like, OK, um, all of that. I just got to push all that to the side and like got, I, I tell myself you're going to be OK. And then I had to believe it so much. I was like, I know I have to believe it because if I tell her she's not she's going to know if I don't believe it. So I better believe it. When I tell mom I'm gonna be okay, and she actually she's the one that told me they found the tumor. Yeah. At that point, they didn't know it was cancerous, but right. Yeah. I mean, what? So, as a nurse and a neighbor, what what's what's going through your mind? Like, just I won't say like, bad words on this podcast. <laughs> That's okay. It's been Holy s h, <laughs> yeah. you know the rest of it. Um, I'm like, I, for me, I just I grab the rosary beads. Yeah. And I said, dear Lord. <laughs> Please hold this young man in the palm of your hands. Please lift him up. Um, please take care of him. He's been through so much. This is a family that Bob and I both love very much. <laughs> please, please help them. Please yeah. sustain them. Yeah, I think it's. I think it was harder for my family and for you guys. Like, I think it was harder for those around me than it was for me. Because in my mind, I was like, "Yeah, this is gonna suck, but I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get. You can get through it. it. Even when I." Um, was back at BC. So my last round of chemo was my first weekend at BC. <laughs> it's my last round of chemo. And and that's when they 
like a few weeks later, I was back in the hospital, and they're like, "You're not going to need radi- the radiologist." And you probably know his name. I forget. Doctor Fitzgerald. Bo- T.J. Fitzgerald. The bow tie. Um, T.J. Fitzgerald. He like, yeah, He's fantastic. I don't know why the oncologist team doesn't know why, but you don't need you don't need radiation. You're done. The chemo did it. And I, I was like, okay, cool. Like I, I I knew I'd get to this point. And I went back to BC, and my one of my roommates was like, well, let's go out and celebrate. And I was like, eh, you know, I kind of knew this day was coming, so it didn't yeah. really yeah, occur didn't, to me. Right. Like, yeah, I probably because the rest of us were doing the Irish jig. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I, but the thing that I always that struck me the most was when you were so sick and you were in clinic with me or Helen or whatever, you would always say to us, can you check on my mom? Can you check on my mom? Can you make sure she's okay? And it was just that, that kindness in you. Well, it's always been there. You, you know, you, your parents are like that. Your parents are just phenomenal. They're yeah. heroes. You know, I, your I've, mom is amazing. I've said any, anything good about me is because of my parents. Your all parents the bad qualities, phenomenal. I just came up with myself. Well, 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 <laughs> well we all have bad qualities. Yeah, right, yeah. We try to hide our bad qualities. But, I mean, you have parents that have sustained you through ups and downs. Like I always say to Mary Beth, your mom, um, our friendship has been together through the joys and sorrows yeah. of life of losing parents and kids being sick yeah. and dr bob you know bob right. being sick and you know we we've been there for each other i don't know if i could have done it without them no. to be honest with you no. i'm gonna cry don't i know cry. i know i couldn't have done it without dr bob and you <laughs> I, mean well, I, I think you probably could have I but would've. you you were a challenge david <laughs> <laughs> Bob would shake his head like, "Oh no." Um, he just he just he believe he always believed in you. And I I do remember one time he went in to tell you to visualize and I had gone in to tell you I, I didn't know he had just left yeah. the room and I had gone in and tell you, you know, pretend you're Pac-Man. Yeah, you're, and, and you looked at me like, have they been talking to <laughs> one another? And I, you know, I didn't know he had just left the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, certainly a big life lesson. Like when you picture something, it's way more likely to happen. I think a lot of people don't know that. I don't know if they don't know that lesson or it's just it's a hard, you know, it's a hard thing to know, I guess, if you haven't done it yourself. Like with with my patients and their families, I always tell them, you know, it's easy for me to say you're going to get through this because I'm not experiencing it. I'm only walking part of the journey with you um but i always tell the kids you're stronger than you know i've always said (laughs) that to the kids you're stronger than you know and you know we ended up um going through this on a personal level also with my great nephew declan who my niece kelly was up and i took a look at declan i didn't like the way he looked and i said to kel i said promise me you'll take him to the doctor when you get home why, Aunt Joan? And I said, just you nah. and me. And this poor little kid, he's three years old. He had to go to the bathroom. I take him in the bathroom. I pull up his shirt. He's looking at me like, why is Aunt Joan pulling up his <laughs> shirt? And I'm looking to see if he has petechiae, which tells us that his platelet count yeah. is low. And he didn't. And I just, you know, I just wanted to make sure Kelly took him to the doctor. Mm. And she did. And sure enough, I went in and I told my friend Helen, I think Declan has leukemia. And Jesus. the next day, Kelly called me and uh, said to me, Aunt Joan and pregnant pause. And she said, you know, I said, Kelly, I prayed that I was wrong. Right. I said, Jesus. but I've been doing this a long time. Um, 
and I, you know, of course, I told my friend Helen, I think Declan has leukemia. And how and old was he? He was three. Jeez. He is 17 now. Christ. Brilliant Thank as God. can be. He's going to enter um, senior year. Um, he went to look at BC. Yay. <laughs> Go Eagles. That's another story, David. <laughs> David's dad went to Holy Cross, and Bob was surrounded by Holy Cross people in our neighborhood <laughs> and Bob said to David why don't you go to a good Jesuit school <laughs> and of course when David got into BC Bob was like beside himself you know but anyway yeah yeah I, it's funny I never even thought about BC and then I was working at mini farms downtown and Katie called my cousin Katie called me who was the first guest on the podcast and she said um she's like yeah me and um me and my mom are going to check out BC. You want to come? I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything else. Sure, I'll go. And then we go, we tour the campus, and we walk into the Condi Forum. And I was like, oh. I was like, this is where I'm going to school. <laughs> like, I just yeah. pictured myself watching a hockey game there. I was like, and the rest is history. Yep. <laughs> Jerry York, who was the hockey coach. Oh, God. Who just graduated. retired. Just retired. He graduated. Same year? Same year as Bob. Oh, oh wow. 67. I wonder if they knew each other. I have that would no be amazing. idea. Yeah, yeah. It's a big school. Yeah. So what advice... If as a nurse, what advice would you give not only to a, a new nurse, a nurse that's just starting, what advice would you give to a patient facing a life-threatening disease? Do you have in your mind, like, do you have things that when there's a new nurse, like, well, you better know this, 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 like. A new nurse, I always tell them, pick your role models. Yeah. You know, pick your role models. You want a nurse that's empathetic. Yeah. You want right. a nurse that's kind, and you want a nurse that's going to spend time with the patients. Yeah. And that was one of my issues with electronic yeah. um, medical records. I just, you know, I would much rather go in and spend time with my patient and hold their hand or yeah. whatever. You know, if you have a patient that you know is not going to be with you long, um, you want to be there for that yeah. patient. And I tell these young nurses, you know, choose your role models. Yes. And it, it's interesting because... When Bob was teaching the med students, he always would say, "Choose your role, choose your role, role models well. Wow. You know, look, look, like Mr. Robinson would say, um, look for the healers, look yeah. for the people that are kind. Yeah, and that's what you want. Yeah, you want. I'm sure you run into many nurses and doctors who are like, "Why are you doing like? Why yeah. are you doing this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. I, like, like I said this." before about any you know especially teaching and doctors and nurses you could know everything about every disease every subject ever but if you you've not good good people skills like right. or don't want to be there for other people why why are you exactly. doing this like exactly why? <laughs> you know what bob used to get crazy about and he saw that teaching the med students you had some of these kids they're very bright mm. but they had intellectual arrogance yeah and that drove him nuts <laughs> he was one of these docs that would take those med students and say you might write the order for you know the blood work or whatever he'd take them up to the lab and he'd say these are the people that actually do the work right you're not doing <laughs> the work you know and he would also say if you really want to know what was going on with the patient to see the changes speak to the nurses taking care right. of them because they're with them yeah. eight to twelve yeah. hours a day right. they see those subtle changes yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I won't get political on you, <laughs> but that's why safe staffing ratios is really oh, important. Of course it is. It's really important. Yeah. As I explained to my daughter, Erin, if I have five patients and my first baby's down here and my fifth p 
patient down here is with chemo. By the time I get down, how do I know what's going on right. with this baby that can't tell me? Right. Because kids can't tell you right, what's right, going on, right. you know? And your energy, the energy by the time you get to that fifth person won't be, isn't You got to keep that energy be, up. Yeah, you do, but you it's do. hard. I'm sure it's, it's hard. It's coffee. You got you to gotta tell yourself, well, I got to yeah. still be up for you, this you guy. You, like, you have to be on your toes yeah. because kids aren't able to articulate right. what's going on. Um, and you get that, the hairs on the back of your neck goes up and you just get that feeling, mm. you know, and... You never want to get that feeling <laughs> that you're going to have to do CPR on a, on oh a child, you know. Have you had, I'm sure you've had that yeah. feeling, right? Yeah. Gosh, that's going to be yeah. tough. I've always said that, like, I, I have so much respect for anyone in the medical field, nurses, nurses and doctors in particular. But nurses are the ones that were there for me. They were there for me every day, all day. And those they were the ones who knew me. Like, yes. some... Some doctors do take the time and get to know their patients and are great. I, there's a lot of great. I love yeah. doctors. <laughs> I don't want to be anti-doctor here. I know you But not. when you're in the hospital, nurses are the ones taking yeah. care of you. Doctors write the stuff and yeah. then the nurses do it. Right. right. I, I mean, I have one patient who, um, I have a couple of patients that live in Northbrow. And one little guy in particular, um, he was three and um I ended up with a lot of the boys, <laughs> which was fine because I had well, girls at girls. Um, and he just, the first time I had access is Portacath. The Portacath is a central line. Yeah, yeah. That which I never got. They you, actually you offered didn't. me and I was like, nah, just stick me. Right. Yeah. You were very good about that. Yeah. But our kids now have Portacaths, yeah. which, you know, give, you, we give them the chemo through right. the Portacath. And this little guy was so nervous because it was the first time he was going to have his port accessed. And I think it took me 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes, working with him. And our child life specialists are the best. Yeah, yeah. They are the best taking care of these children and getting them ready um, for what we have. I mean, when you think about what we have to do to them. Yeah. And what is so what is that job? There's that a job they just they get them ready. They teach them. They'll use like a doll to show them exactly what's going are on. Are they social workers or what's uh, there? No, they could they, I do this? They like, are. I think I'd be good at that. You, you okay. need, you'd be great. Yeah, at wouldn't it. I? You need a master's <laughs> in, okay. in child life. Oh, I could. Uh, that. What school is it down? Not Wheaton. It, I think it's Wheaton okay. that has it. They are phenomenal. Our child life specialist. Yeah. I couldn't do my job without them. Yeah. It. When they work with the child, if we're doing a sedation, the child needs less medication right. and they don't hurt as much. But this little guy was really nervous. And so I waited. The child life specialist, Chris, was fantastic. She went in and we're working together. And I said, I'm going to wait till you tell me that he's ready. I said, and so I asked this is Porticath. And his mother said to me, thank you. And she said, because you waited the next couple of times, it was easier mm. for mm -hmm. him. I said, well, that's what we want. We don't want these children yeah. to be fearful of us uh, coming in to right, do this. Right. You know, we want them, you know, and then <laughs> he's actually going to Algonquin next year. He's oh, nice. He's going to be. Uh, uh, he's those success stories. It is. I mean, that's love. what like, we yeah, love. That's Helen, Helen Mullen and I love that. And yeah. my friend Kathy Guadagnola, who just retired from Five East, um, we just, you know, you get, they always tell you in nursing school, don't get too close to your patients. Whatever. How can you not <laughs> right? when they're kids? You have you know? to. You have to. He, he's going off yeah. to school. And when um, when I think about it, he, um, it, the last time I accessed his portacath, he just said, 
sat there and said, Joni, just do it, <laughs> you know? And it was because we waited. Yeah. And our child life specialist, you can't do it without child life specialist. No. You really can't. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's because for me, getting sick at a young age, like physically you bounce back easier. You do. Because you are. But the emotional part, like I don't. You know, how do how do you comprehend that? Especially when you're three kids like kids are amazing. Um, I mean, I like grownups, but I don't want to work <laughs> with them. Um, grownups, they just internalized everything. Children know they're supposed to be healthy and well. Right, right. And that's their perception. Right. You know, of course, they have some residual issues going on. And, you know, some of the kids that got. Um, intracranial radiation they might have some learning disabilities but you you filter that out and you figure it out and you help them along the lines but children are meant to be healthy right and that's their perception you know <laughs> we have the, the parents are amazing yeah. i mean i think of some of the parents that i've dealt with they are just simply simply amazing um their fortitude their their strength yeah. is amazing. Like I'm your mother and your dad. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen the opposite, though. You've seen couples that probably crack under the pressure and are fighting each other and I all that stuff. I have seen, you know, there's one little boy I took care of, and he did not make it. And his parents ended up, they just, they split up yeah. afterwards. And it's, it was hard. It's I'm it sure was it was really devastating, hard. and yeah. it just affected them, and they couldn't handle it. Yep. It's no one's fault. But yeah. that's so sad. <laughs> well, and I guess that's why, you know, you could, you know, the, um, you know, they told you don't get close to your patients. There is good in that because if you don't get close, then you're not as, you're not as sad if, if you, you know, if you don't get close, then the bad stories don't affect you as much. But then you don't have all the good stories, right? Right. Then you don't, if, right. but you are close, you get those really great stories and you're, if you're close to that patient, that's much, way, you know, way more enjoyable. I guess that's the balance of, yeah. of, of it, right? <laughs> but There's I think to truly treat a patient, you have to get close to them. You right? do to because you have to, you have to realize that the little nuances, like right. you know, like one little girl, um, she's 16 now. She's absolutely gorgeous, and her mother reminded me that I used to sing "The Wheels on the Bus" <laughs> to her when I accessed Portica. Great song. Um, I <laughs> had another patient who has really bad sickle cell disease. Been taking care of him since he was little. I think he's 21 or 22, oh and I would always say to him, you know, did I hurt you? And he'd say to me, uh, "Your singing is more painful <laughs> than actually ac <laughs> accessing my porticaf." Um, but you know, it's and you know, we lost kids. Like one of yeah. the little boys that I took care of was getting ready for his Make-A-Wish trip, and um, I had done all his sedations and all his chemo, and uh, there was such joy, yeah. and I was in Greece at the time and I got the call from Helen saying I have something to tell you and I went my heart just dropped and told me about this little boy that we lost and I couldn't stop sobbing mm. because I had seen him through three and a half years yeah, almost four God, years of treatment and I thought he was home free right right and that was that was very hard yeah that was very, very and you, hard. you knew Justin as well yep. right? yeah so yep. Justin Horton um to mention him so i met justin at umass we were both getting treated treated for brain tumors his was on his brain stem mm -hmm. which is more difficult yeah right mine was in the middle of my brain pushing on my optic nerve but justin and i were big red Sox fans um we would always we we would request to be in the same room if we were there at the same time we'd watch the Sox games we got and he was 10 i was 18 he was yeah, only he 10 was, but yeah, we he still was much younger, whatever yeah. i mean yeah. 
um, stayed in touch with me when I was. I don't know if you know the whole Justin story. Like, I don't think so, I know the whole. Story. So say, so stayed um, stayed in touch while while when I went to BC, I would go visit him on um, spring break and stuff. Uh, we'd re- we actually write each other letters. That's how <laughs> that's how long ago this was. Um, and then my junior year of BC, uh, Danny Manning Jr., who graduated St. John's with me, he he had been diagnosed with leukemia a year prior. He died in November of my junior year, and then um, the end of my junior year, I, just, I was in the middle of my drinking. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much you knew about my drinking story. I'm sure you heard. Yeah. So like, and that was the thing is like when I was going through treatment, I didn't. I pushed all the negative and, you know, bad stuff to the side. And then when I drank, guess what? It, it, it appeared. It's going to appear, people. Um, and then um, end of my junior year, just went drunk. I had drank everything we had in the apartment, just basically was alcohol poisoning. Um, they took me to the ER. Um, then from the hospital, they sent me to McLean's to get help, which I need. Obviously, I needed and while I was at McLean's, um, my I think it was my dad told me that Justin had been trying to get in touch with me because it wasn't looking good for him. I'm sure you you knew more about that than me. Um, and then while I was at McLean's, he died, and I just freaking lo- I started throwing chairs. I just lo- lost my shit. Um, but it was actually Justin. So I I said to myself, well, I wasn't there for Justin because of drinking. Mm-hmm. So guess what? I can't drink anymore. So Justin helped me stop drinking. So even though the loss of him was so tragic, and I still I think of him all the time, and of I think you of do. Danny all the time, yeah, and I think of Greg Montalbano Greg, all the time, yep. and I think of my friend Patrick all the time. Oh, Patrick. <laughs> These are guys that have died from cancer that I've yep. known. Um, and Patrick and kind of inspire you. they inspire me to you know be the best Dave I can be. Like I, <laughs> um, but anyway, back to Justin. So Justin dies, um, helps me to stop drinking. Then in two thousand ten. I'm doing the Relay for Life. I don't know if you know this story. So I'm doing the Relay for Life in Worcester. And I would always write, I would always make the luminary bags for right. Justin, Danny, Greg. And now I'll add Patrick to that if I did another one. Um, so someone came over. The Hope Lodge had a tent. I worked at Hope Lodge at the time. They had a tent. And I'm just sitting there. And someone comes over. They're like, um, who made that bag for Justin? I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. I, I knew him you know, way back when. And they go, oh, his mom is right over there. Isn't that amazing? So Justin's mom was at the Relay for Life. So I got to talk to her. I got to tell her, like, you know, basically Justin saved my life, you know? Yeah. Um, So even those tragic stories, I think, have purpose somehow, right? Yeah. (laughs) I I also firmly believe you don't really know the impact you make on somebody else's life. Right. Um. You know, it's what that Tim McGraw song, Always Be Kind, <laughs> and it's true. You know, kindness spreads like a, a pebble right. in, in, in the reservoir. D- just It just emanates out, yeah. and that's what we need to be, a kinder, gentler <laughs> nation. And we need to be kinder, gentler people. Oh, we do. We really do. To I everyone. Mean, to everybody. Right? Even you people know? that you want to hate. Yes. People that are easy to hate, too. Like Yes. <laughs> Like and that's the funny thing is those people those are the people that usually need the most kindness and love right? they do they do and they need a lot of prayers <laughs> right. um you know because uh but what bob used to always say what jesus used to always say whatever you give in his name will come back a hundredfold and i i i, I firmly believe that yeah. i really do 
I mean, I'll tell you the story that when Bob was practicing, um, he had a family who had no money and child needed to be seen. And Bob said to them, you know, the mom says, well, I don't have money for bus fare. I don't have money for a cab. Bob said, no worries. Just get the cab and I'll meet you downstairs. And so I said to him, where are you going? He said, I got to go to the ATM. I said, uh, what? And he said, I got to go to the ATM. And I went, okay. And so mom's name is Mary, comes in with the three kids. Of course, Bob takes care of them. And he said, yeah, we have a fund here. You know, we'll send you home in a cab. It's not a problem. And I just looked at her. And, <laughs> I, and I remember my Erin, when she was working in Hartford, there was a woman there that was a housekeeper. And she asked Erin, could she talk to the general manager to see if she could stay in the hotel for a little bit? And Erin said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, I have money for the for my first month's rent, but not for the, for, you know, the security. Mm. So she said, and it's a lot of money. And Aaron said to her, well, how much is it? And I think it was like 325 mm. or 350. And Aaron said, okay. And so Aaron went and said, well, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll work something out. And I didn't hear the story from Aaron. I heard it from a friend of Aaron's. And Aaron went and got money out of her account and handed it to this housekeeper and the woman says you don't even you haven't even worked here long enough you don't even know me why are you doing this <laughs> and she said well first of all you need it i have food on the table <laughs> i have a place to live and it's something my father would expect <laughs> yeah, me i was to gonna do. say you, we have a fund <laughs> yeah we, we have a fund <laughs> <laughs> and it would you know and I, I i'm thinking to myself you know bob was probably smiling down at her um th you know for doing something like that can i tell a dave story of course okay so here's my dave story of course I lost my husband almost 18 years ago. Um, my grandson, Nicholas, was a year old, and Nicholas is now 18. And we buried Bob from St. Luke's. So St. Luke's Catholic Church here in Westboro, for me, is cradle to grave because my grandkids were baptized there. Um, Bob loved David. It was like the, the kid he never had and didn't have to pay for college, so it was great. And I went to BC. And he went to BC. I mean, you know, my Carrie turned down BC for grad school. I thought Bob was going to stroke. So Bob died, and it was, it was a hard time for me, as David knows. Um, he was sick for the last five years of his life. Katie O'Neill, Dave's cousin, did all the music and took care of that because there was no way I could handle that. And we always knew we wanted Katie to sing at Bob's funeral. So Dave walks into the wake. He walks in with a red sex, red socks hat. And I looked at him and I looked, Dave, and he said, I just wanted to make sure that Dr. Bob was not buried in his Yankees teacher. <laughs> and it was just the right note. I needed that because I was just, it just helped me get through the rest of the night. And I always think of Dave, you know, with his red sacks hat. And I think you placed it on the coffin, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, so yeah, that's my Dave story. Well, that's the, I mean, and that's, I think, the major life lesson that we've both learned i think throughout our experiences that you have to keep laughing you right? do no matter what you do the worst even the wor on the worst day of my chemo i was still watching a funny movie yep. like and you have to keep laughing when when <laughs> bob was sick the, the five years that he was you know he was you know 
in a hospital bed at home, um, he had uh, the Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason, yeah. and he would use yeah. that, and that would boost his yeah. immune system. Yeah. And he always would tell his patients that. Yeah. I mean, besides being a pediatrician, he was also infectious disease. Right. Um, and he would always tell his patients, you know, laughter is really one it of the best medicine is. you it have, is. you know? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. All right, well, on that note, I, I don't know if it's hard to believe for you, but our hour is just about Okay, up, so. I am a kid from the Bronx. I still <laughs> root for the Yankees. I just want to <laughs> say this, except when they're pl- except when the Red Sox are playing other teams. Other yes. teams, yes. then I root for the Red Sox. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our guest. You're I welcome. hope to have you on again someday. Thank you. Thank you need your mother on. I, w- I think, or you, me and your mom. Me and, you and my mom, I think. Because yeah, she great. is one of my <laughs> heroes. <laughs> your mom is definitely one of my heroes. She just... She is the salt of the earth. <laughs> she really is. And Paul and Mary Beth McGraw have raised five <laughs> amazing kids that anybody would be proud to call their own. Thank you so much. You're Thanks welcome. for coming on. Have a great day, everyone. You're welcome. <laughs>